everyone. Welcome to a fresh edition, the free agency edition, if you will, of a Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. I'm your pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio, Chris Bowden, alongside the Chelsea blogger and the BlackhawksNHL.com correspondent. Scott King back in studio after being on remote in Vancouver. I still have brought a portion, Scott, of the cold that I caught en route to Vancouver. I think some uh, O'Hare germs or some uh, germs on the airplane invaded my space a little too much on that uh, flight out to Vancouver. I was hurting in that Saturday show on draft day. We made it through, but I still can't kick this thing. So apologies for being a little bit hoarse, but uh, great job back here at the station. You got Troy Murray on the phone off of his love boat and you got to work for Her- with Harry for the first time. That was a miracle. How Troy. was Tiny? How was Tiny? Harry was great. He knew, you know, he knows a lot about the Hawks. He's got that voice. I, um, when we first met to prep for the show, I asked him about being in the movie Risky Business. Right. <laughs> so he was, he's a character. Close personal and, friend of Tom Cruise. Exactly. Yes. And, yes. uh, Harry's always good for bringing up an Yvonne Bolderev or a Luan Gotti oh, yeah. or a Chico Mackey he reference knows, here and he there. He knows everyone's number. Yes. All and, the old players. But speaking of numbers, the Blackhawks roster has now been filled out for the most part after day one of free agency as we tape here on midday Tuesday, July 2nd, following the frenzy of July 1st. And Scott, at this time of year, when NBA free agency is going on, Adrian Wojnarowski, who seems to have a bead on everything that's coming in the NBA for ESPN and previously Yahoo, they call his breaking news Woj bombs. Well, we got a Bowman bomb. Hashtag Bowman Bomb or hashtag Stealth Stan. You got to copyright those. Working behind the scenes. And I think you and I thought the same thing after the Ryan Carpenter announcement relatively early on in free agency on Monday. Uh, last year, boom, boom, boom. The, the Kunitz, the Manning, and the Ward signings were made within the opening hour. Stan had his press conference and day was done. And you knew that there wasn't going to be a whole lot more action after that. But Stan was not available after the Ryan Carpenter signing. He remained unavailable into the early and mid-hours of the afternoon, and you kind of thought something else was up. And then the Bowman bomb happened. Robin Leonard, out of the blue, a Vesna Trophy finalist, and uh, old stealth Stan pulling off some of these deals from Andrew Shaw on Sunday through a couple of other acquisitions that he's made dating back throughout his time as vice president and general manager. And this one was just as shocking as any. I think everyone had Robin Leonard Penn to go back to the New York Islanders. But after we hear from him, we'll talk about Lou Lamarillo's strategy that may have backfired on him a little bit. But yeah, everyone was just completely shocked by the fact that Corey Crawford seems healthy, but now you have what Stan is calling perhaps the best one-two punch in the net in the NHL right now. Yeah, we were talking during, I didn't think they were done by any means. Not just did we not get the email that there was no uh, conference, uh, phone conference planned yet, but just from his comments, this you go back to this season that um, and after the season that they were going to be active and and just one. I think that's a, a great addition. I mean, just look what happened. Look, 
filling every need they had. I think you go back to November. Uh, I don't know if Stan's been drinking more electrolytes or, or what it is, but he's just he's just really focused on improving the team when you go back to the Stroman Smaltz trade. Since then, you can argue with, go back two seasons ago, some of the guys they still had last season, uh, this didn't work out, that didn't work out. Now all he's doing is, up until the Leonard trade, there were little tweaks here and there, and you were getting viable, effective lineup uh, roster players. Um and and wow, talking about having two starting goalies who are, who could be top goalies in a league, like you said, uh, Leonard, a, uh, a Vezina Trophy finalist last year. It it, it seems like it was going to take more seasons to, and we're going to get into this later. I know to, to go from partial rebuild to cup contender. I think he's I think he's really stepping on the gas with these moves because all of a sudden you're very deep at goalie. You needed at least a decent backup in case Crawford was injured again. And we all thought Colin Delia was going to be that guy. And, and I put out a tweet yesterday that the uh, the Delia Lincoln and uh goalie battle in in training camp is still real to me, damn it. It's still <laughs> now they're fighting for the number 3 spot, but you, you improve goalie tremendously like Stan said. I agree. You have the best one-two punch in that in the league. Uh, going forward the next season, you improve your D a lot with Mata and Dehan, and then all of a sudden they needed help up the middle. You lock up Cam for a little longer. You get Shaw back, who can play up the middle, and you get Carpenter. So they're deep up the middle too. I mean, that's this is a much much improved team. Let's hear from. We'll talk a little bit more about this entire situation involving Crawford and Leonard and how it will perhaps play out. But without further ado, let's hear from Leonard himself. A number of topics when he jumped on a teleconference with media. This is a pared-down, edited version of some of the give-and-take, not the entire teleconference, of course, but about six minutes' worth, in uh, which he explains how and why he landed with the Blackhawks, what happened with the Islanders, um, also having to share the net again, despite being a Vesna finalist, as he did last year with Thomas Grice, who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, just as good, or almost as good as Leonard himself was with those Islanders under Barry Trotz. How quickly the process uh, became uh, to become a Blackhawk, how quickly that process took shape, and also still having to bet on himself with a one-year deal after a career year, uh, his confidence and positivity, the approach he has to moving forward based on what is just a fascinating backstory that came to light at this time a year ago when he really got his life together due to mental issues, bipolar disorder, um, uh, ADHD, and tied in with that, having to deal with that, suffering into some alcohol and drug problems, and he has now overcome it. That appears to be in his past, and it showed in his performance this past season. But he starts out here with an opening thought on the two-time Stanley Cup winning goaltender that it looks like he will share the net with. Very excited to uh, to play together with uh, Corey Crawford going forward this season. Obviously a big role model to me uh, throughout my career. Uh, hell of a goaltender and uh, it should be a fun year. When I heard uh, from my agents that uh, Chicago uh, was interested and I, I got on the phone with the uh, with Stan, uh, it just felt right. Obviously, I I, I know how good of a team they have, uh, and uh, obviously, probably haven't turned out the way they wanted to be last couple of years. But uh, they, the second half of the season this year, they were playing at a very very high level, and uh, as I said, incredible team that I'm excited to join. And uh, yeah, now it's uh, as soon as I heard it, and we went on a phone call, talked to. To both Stan and the coach, uh, it just felt right, and 
on this, and how do you kind of foresee it, you, you and Cropper playing together? Well, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm 27 turning 28, and I, I truly in my soul know I'm, uh, I'm just scratching the surface. Uh, last year was uh, a good, uh, good start for me. I know I'm only going to get better, uh, and uh, uh, just the sheer firepower in the organization that uh, I'm about to join, it just uh, really excites me. And uh, uh, a one-year deal uh, made sense on both parts. You know, obviously everyone wants. Uh, some type of security and term and stuff like that. I'd be lying if I said I, I didn't want that from uh, from after a year that I had. But uh, again, I have no no hesitations about my play and uh, where I am as a goaltender. And I'm very excited to keep uh, keep proving myself. But now it's more just keep proving myself off the ice and be on the same same good uh, track that I'm uh, I'm at that I have full confidence I'm going to be for the rest of my career and just. Uh, I just want to win, uh, win now. So it made a lot of sense to me because uh, it's a very competitive team, and I just want to be a part of uh, a winning team. You mentioned that, that uh, Corey Crawford was the role model for you. Um, have you met him before, and, and how has he inspired you in your career? And, and what do you think it'll be like sharing the, the net with him here in Chicago? No, I mean uh, I haven't talked to him, uh, uh, but uh, just uh, you know during the prime there they won the, uh, those cups I think he's been one of the better goaltenders in the league for a long time uh, uh, obviously had some injury uh, problems the last couple of years which I hope uh, uh, everything's going to go well this year and uh, I just you know I just see it as a good thing going forward you know just trying to win games together and uh, uh, you know when I have my opportunity I'll play to the best of my abilities and I'm sure he will too and uh, obviously I think uh Two, two healthy uh, goaltenders uh, competing and uh, just uh, playing as well as you can in front of a team like this, it's uh, going to be a good recipe for success. Can you give us a sense of what the timeline was like? Uh, were you aware of any Blackhawks interest going back to the past week, and, and uh, how quickly uh, did you become aware of that interest? Was it as, as soon as yesterday or today? No, it was uh, it was very recent. It was very recent. I think uh, I think what happened is I don't think a lot of people in uh, in the league uh, understood or uh, knew that I was available. Uh, and uh, when that kind of came to light, uh, you know, when Chicago when Chicago reached out to my agents, and I found out uh, it was very intriguing. So it happened pretty quick uh, uh, over the last couple of days. And uh, you know, we we were still pretty much all in with. Uh, uh, with Long Island, and uh, uh, they they walked away. They don't want to do anything, uh, and walked away with a uh, with another goalie. So it's uh, uh, I looked over the options on the market. It was uh, uh, a couple of intriguing ones, and we started having some some talk with uh, some other teams. But uh, as soon as I heard uh, from Chicago, I felt pretty good right away, and told my agents that that's what what I wanted to sell in on. Do you look at this as your this is a gamble one-year deal for your future. And by virtue of that, since you were a Vezina Trophy finalist last year, how can you make that work if it's possible that you will play fewer games than you did with the Islanders? Well, I don't see it as a gamble at all. Uh, it's only a gamble if you don't believe you're going to be able to perform. Uh, I know I know what I can do. I've proven what I can do. And uh, over the last... Uh, 
over the last uh, four seasons, uh, I have pretty good numbers uh, no matter where I play. And uh, not just when I was in Long Island. I, I was a steady 92% goalie in Buffalo, too, no matter what people think of that. Uh, it's just a fact. And uh, I'm very confident I'm going to bring uh, something to this team, no matter if it's the 30 or 40 or 50 games or whatever is going to end up happening. Uh, I just want to come and help this organization, and I don't see how that's going to be negative to my future at all. I'm 27 years old, turning 28, uh, still uh, young and uh, as a goalie, and I'm very young in my process of turning everything around. So just me being around a good organization with good people and continuing my journey, I see as a big upside. And uh, I'm not in a rush. Me and my family want to be in a good city where we can uh, potentially thrive long term. And a one-year deal is uh, uh, it's a good fit for both us and uh, the organization as of right now, and uh, gives me a nice. Uh, uh, care to just try to perform and show that I'm uh, show that I'm a good goalie and a good teammate, and you never know what the future holds. Robin Leonard certainly coming across as uh, probably personality wise a quite different person than the one he was. Uh, even as recently as a year ago, but <clears throat> excuse me, you look at some numbers. Two point one three nine thirty save percentage last year with the Islanders, which. To be fair, made a huge jump overall defensively when Barry Trotz took over with not a lot of turnover on their back end. But Leonard was there for the first time sharing that net with Thomas Grice on a one-year deal. Leonard, a career 918 save percentage. The league average is 910. Over his last three seasons and 158 games, 930 last year, 908 the year before, but the two previous seasons to that in Buffalo, 920 and 924. So that averages out to a 919 save percentage, a 2.62 goals against over the course of the last four years. Corey Crawford, by comparison, while Leonard's at 919, Corey Crawford's at 917. While Leonard's at a 2.62 goals against average, Crawford is at 2.61. Now, Crawford's played about 35 fewer games over those four years based on the injuries. But over the last four years, these are the number three and the number five goalies in save percentage with a minimum of 150 games played. So I think the big question now... Everyone's a fan of this based on what Corey's been through. He hasn't been able to play half the games each of the last two years. He is healthy going into the season, despite the, the the groin injury that he suffered at the very end last year. It looks like all systems are go for Corey. And now I'm wondering how he's going to react to this. Scott, you heard Robin say, or, or you'll hear Stan Bowman say coming up, about the fact that he didn't have a chance to immediately talk to Corey. He put that in Jimmy Waite's hands, and Corey gave a positive feedback about the entire situation, having to split the net with a guy like Leonard. And Corey hasn't played any more than 59 games, even when he's been healthy for entire season. So you look at that, as 23 starts at least for Robin Leonard, if, if Corey really takes hold of this and picks, off where he left off, picks up where he left off. But this is also a situation where Corey's a proud guy, and I I believe that he's totally in on this, a team guy, but if that is not the case, or you have a couple of guys each wanting the net themselves, if they find themselves getting into a groove, getting into a rhythm, where it's going to be very important for Jimmy Waite, the goaltending coach, and even more so, 
Jeremy Colleton trying to find a way to manage and massage if egos do grow a little bit. Because for the here and now, Leonard certainly sounds like a real humble guy with the opportunity to share a net with Corey Crawford, too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how everyone handles it. And I think, you know, foremost, of course, we've seen how Corey competes, uh, whether it's against other goalies on a team or, or just in the playoffs or battling back in a game. We know what he can do. And as much as he wants to be that number one guy, and he, and he is one of the best goalies, in the league when he's healthy. I think he's also realistic. He knows he only played 39 games last year. He knows that if he's in a Stan Bowman's position, he needs an insurance policy. And look, this guy was available. Guy invest- <laughs> I keep saying investment trophy finalist. That's how good he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, 930. Save percentage. Amazing goalie. And a, a plus is you got a goalie who's making $5 million for the year. And then in Crawford, you got a goalie making $6 million for the year. Two veteran goalies are going to be very motivated to prove Because themselves. they're on a contract year, one-year yep. one year contracts. Um, that's what they got left. So but that could also be a source of tension, too, if both of them are playing well. But that's, that's if it translates <laughs> on the ice that they're both playing their butts off, that's right. fine, you know, as long as it doesn't disrupt the room too much. There is still so, an unknown quantity about Colin Dealey, as much as we all like him. There's still yeah. an unknown about whether he could slide into a situation where he's only playing... 20, 25 games and sitting the rest of the way, how he can handle that. I think he would have been able to, but probably not as well. Uh, Leonard's coming from a situation where he, by and large, split the net, maybe had a a few more starts than Thomas Grice. And then fast forwarding, you hear some of fans saying, okay, well, what's going to happen then when it comes to the playoffs? Let's get to the playoffs first. And I think this is probably the most effective way to get there based on, unfortunately, what you have to prepare for with what Corey Crawford went through the last couple of years. No one's wishing that upon him again, but it is a wonderful drop back and safety valve to have in this situation moving forward. So here, to give you an idea of the one-two punch, last season when it was Ward and Delia, they combined for a nine uh, nine hundred or ninety save ninety percentage uh, save percentage in forty nine games. Now, if, if they would have reached nine thirty, they would have given up forty eight fewer goals, making them an obvious playoff team. So that's nine thirty. Uh, what Leonard had, Leonard had. That's uh, such a big upgrade. So you see, you see that production right away is going to increase. And uh, even though the Islanders were really impressive with how they took such a giant leap defensively this past year under Barry Trotz. Uh, The numbers still favor Leonard. Uh, You can make the argument that, yeah, he had a great defense in front of him, uh, much better than what the Blackhawks were last year. I think with the moves that Stan Bowman has made with the likes of Mata and DeHaan, they will be better. You have guys more committed to protecting the net and blocking shots and whatnot. But yet, when you look at some of the metrics, there were still high-danger chances that Leonard faced, and uh, he was among the best in the league at at stopping those shots when it comes down to your last line of defense. So you can make an argument on one side of the thing, but then uh, when you look at it as well, when your goalie has to make a save, Leonard proved last year that he could do that. That's exactly what I was going to say. I saw that. I forgot the exact number, but for the, the high danger chances, he, he made a lot of those saves. And as good as your defense is, when things get hairy, you're going to have to make some saves, and he did. And 
if you by chance missed the NHL awards this past year, he lost out on the Vezina Trophy to Andre Vasilevsky, but he did win the Masterson Trophy for his commitment to the game, the things that uh, he has proven off the ice. If you didn't hear the speech that Robin Leonard gave a couple of weeks ago in Las Vegas and accepting that and talking about all he has overcome, it is a great speech. It's very impressive with how far he has come. And and you heard on, on the clip there during the teleconference, he's a very proud guy because even though he wasn't at his very best in his approach and what was going on off the ice, he still put up some pretty solid numbers for teams like Ottawa and Buffalo that weren't that great in front of him. And for all he was going through, uh, this is a guy, 27, 28 years old. He has seven years on Corey Crawford. And as we move forward into the great unknown of what happens in Blackhawks net beyond this coming season, we'll get a better gauge as to um, how things look for the future with the way the 82 games will, will play out this coming season. Let's now hear from Stan Bowman on this situation and a little bit more on uh, the larger scale of how this roster is shaking down. Uh, this is Stan uh, on Monday afternoon uh, following the signing of Leonard. He jumped on, as a matter of fact, right after Leonard. On that conference call, uh, you will hear him touch about the overall cap situation right now, just having about a million dollars to spend as we record here on Tuesday afternoon with the $81.5 million uh, salary cap about the only lone bit of business he has yet to get to was Brendan Perlini. He still intended on signing him. Also uh, talks about how they have come to putting this roster together, and Scott and I will discuss this a little bit more. You'll also be at, hear him asked about, in his mind, who is number one and who is number two in the net toward the ends of this uh, little five-and-a-half-minute stretch of sound from Stan Bowman. But he starts out talking about the opportunity that he was given that really came out of the blue as late as Sunday afternoon to put himself in a position based on what was going on between Leonard and the Islanders to add a quality goaltender and a one-two punch to join alongside Corey Crawford and sign Leonard to this type of deal. I certainly wasn't expecting Robin to be available. I mean, it's, it's rare for a Vezina finalist to be available and then in this situation... Uh, for us to be able to get him to come to our team, uh, it was it was very recent that we were able to have those conversations. I spoke to his agent, and then today it was it was a good opportunity for myself and Jeremy. We both were able to talk to Robin, and very genuine, sincere, articulate guy. Uh, really enjoyed the couple phone calls I had with him today, talking on a number of topics, and it just felt right from. The first time we spoke, it felt like this was going to be a great opportunity for him and for us, and uh, really happy with how it all played out. How comfortable do you feel about your current cap situation? Cap friendly has you just over a million dollars, and um, with that being said, too, the committing eleven million uh, next year uh, to Corey and to Robin at the goaltender position. Well, I think we're in a good position with the cap, and you know we've we've really got sort of a full roster right now. Whether this is the way we start camp or if we tweak a few things, but I think we've come a long way in the last month. If you look at where we were a month ago and where we are today, we're a much much better team, and uh, we're well positioned to have a good season. Uh, as far as how much money is spent on the goal. You know, it's the most important position in the game. And, uh, you know, looking back the last two years, it's 
it's certainly been hard to weather the storm when injuries are part of the game and you know I think uh, we have the best one-two punch in the league is the way I look at it right now and I certainly feel really comfortable going into next season whether Corey Crawford's in that or Robin Leonard's in that we got two high-end goaltenders and we've improved our defense uh, we've made some changes up front so we're a different team I'm very optimistic for for, for where we're headed and uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you had a chance to talk to Corey uh, either right after you made the deal or before to discuss discuss it with him about what his whether it changes the role or just make sure he knew about it before it became public I have not personally spoken to Corey yet. I will. Uh, there's a lot going on here today, but I made sure that uh, Jimmy Waite, our goalie coach, did. And, uh, you know, just hearing through Jimmy was excited and uh, makes our team better. And I think that's what maybe sometimes people lose sight of is guys want to win. And uh, our players, especially the guys that have been here for years and have experienced winning the Cup, they understand that feeling of winning. And, uh, anytime we can su- support one another with better players coming to be their teammates, um, I think it's a great thing. So uh, I've gotten good feedback from Jimmy Waite, and I uh, haven't talked to Corey yet, but I will. But uh, I think it's uh, nothing but positive. Um, just signing players sort of randomly because they're good players on other teams wasn't the right approach. We, we tried to take a strategic approach looking at shoring up areas of concern and I think we've been able to do that you're right we're in a better position to pounce on some opportunities that you know in the past we probably haven't been able to and you know other teams likewise are kind of handcuffed right now because of their own situation so um, that was an opportunity that we wanted to take advantage of and I think we've been fairly nimble here over the past number of weeks to be able to react quickly to situations that arise to uh, you know we were in all these discussions and if uh, the situation was different in a previous year we probably wouldn't have been able to pull these off Dan you you said uh, a couple of times that you've got a great one-two punch just to be clear who is your one who is your two well, well uh, what I meant by one-two punch is like there's, there's no no goalies ever played 82 games. So we, you need two goalies. It doesn't matter how many one plays or how many the other plays. you got to win every night. You don't just have to win when your supposed number one is playing. So um, that wasn't like well, we had discussions with Robin about that. not about a certain number of games each guy plays. It's, we need to be great in that, in that every night. So however the breakdown works out, it'll work out and that's really more for the coaching staff than it is for me to mandate how many games one guy's going to play um, you know that there's a lot of things that go into that there's travel and back to backs and team performance and goaltender performance and health and so I think it's it's kind of foolish to try to map out how many games each guy's going to play uh, we need two goalies and uh, you know the 
the situation we have today is better than it was. Stan Bowman there on Monday afternoon. Uh, Scott, he has now fairly much spent to the cap here. And uh, with a bit more business, perhaps with Brendan Perlini to do, they will be all tapped out, capped out, if if you will. And uh, before we get into the discussion on some of the moves that he has made, um, you know, th- there's always that looming speculation that uh, another move is made, be it with the huge crowd that they have on the blue line. Um, and, and through Stan Bowman's previous uh, interview with, with Chris Cook on Blackhawks.com, he kind of left the impression that Henry Yoki Haru has to still battle his way into this top six or top seven, which I find fairly interesting. But it also lends to the theory that with that logjam on defense, whether it happens between now and the start of training camp or between the start of training camp and the start of the regular season, depending on what other teams may may have, uh, other teams' needs may be around the league, you almost think something else is going to happen. And, and you know, another popular name on, uh, in terms of whether he stays or goes after getting a two million dollar bonus on Monday is Artem Anisimov. Uh, his uh, cap hit is going to be 4.5, but in terms of the money that he's going to be paid after that $2 million bonus, a total of $5 million over the next two years. You have Camp, you have Ryan Carpenter as guys who could serve as three, four centers, third, fourth line centers after Taves and Strom. But uh, so, so the Anisimov rumors continue to swirl, but I think you also have to take into consideration the strong teams up and down. The strong teams in this league, up and down the lineup, are strong through the middle at center, and just sacrificing Anisimov for the sake of opening some salary cap breathing room. There's an argument against that too. Do you think another significant move may be coming off of some of these guys on the current roster, whether it's in the coming weeks or sometime before the start of the season opening in Prague? I think so. I think Anisimov could go, and it's not just that they have those guys at center. They got they got some great insurance policies at center, bringing Shaw over who can play up the middle. And look, there's still an outside chance Kirby Doc could play too. We're going to see yep. what kind of development camp he has or or training camp. Um, so, and look, whether he goes or not. Up the middle at center, just like at goalie now, you're going to have this healthy competition, and you're going to see the same with the blue line, no matter if one or two guys go or not. They're, like I said, loaded in these positions, so all this healthy competition can only be a good thing, and same with the assets they have now. And Stan has always said, uh, I'm not worried about the competition or the logjam or the numbers that we have. He wants to see how it all plays out in training camp, and may the best people win, and hopefully that is the case with uh, who Jeremy now getting his first full year uh, and an opportunity to really take the reins on this team and on this roster, having uh, built a little bit of belief in the guys in that room with, yeah, this system can work and we can win under it. Uh, I think there's a lot to be said with the belief system now in that locker room with getting back into playoff contention last year in following Jeremy's uh, ways. So overall, I don't think, Scott, there, there's any question that this team is is much better now than it was uh, you know, after the first week of April. Stan vowed to do that. Uh, overall, with, with what he has done, what are your general impressions? We'll get into, after we hear from Andrew Shaw, a little bit about you know the competition they'll now face after some of these other changes through free agency and trades, be it within the division or within the West. But you have Leonard, you have 
Andrew Shaw. Again, we'll hear from him in a minute. Ryan Carpenter serving that need for penalty kill. Face-off guy to take some of the pressure off Jonathan Taves. And then the two moves made in bringing uh, bringing in the veteran defenseman. I really love the DeHaan trade for the fact that Anton Forsberg wasn't going to make this team. Gustav Forsling was going to have a difficult time making this team. They were restricted free agents, and that's what he gave up for a guy like Calvin DeHaan. So in the overall scheme of things, uh, how um, happy, how impressed are you with what Stan has been able to do there? Uh, obviously, the sexiest move was the Leonard move, but uh, there's a lot of... You know, blue collar grinder like things that needed to be done with this roster. I think Stan's addressed that for, uh, by and large. Yeah, definitely. I was fairly impressed even before the Leonard trade. Then I was incredibly impressed. <laughs> it was he, like I said, he addressed every need the team has. They're incredibly deep in in all the not not only did he address them. They're they're deep in all those areas now um, where they could move some assets and, and they could have this this competition. Everything. And I just look. I I don't know. How else he can improve this team with these these little signings and you know maybe not so little with guys like uh, Madan Dahan that were not these huge cap hits but they're going to be effective players especially if they're healthy and look maybe he could still get one more bottom six guy who could as a, maybe a scoring touch but if they don't I think they'll be fine and and he could be working on that right now on his phone right now I don't know yeah but I'm, I'm pretty impressed and uh, obviously one of the things that he wanted to do and, and bring in the likes <clears throat> excuse me of of Mata and Dahan shot blockers guys who aren't going to put up Eric Gustafson-like numbers by any means, heck, even Duncan Keith numbers, uh, Mata and Dahan, if, uh, you know, uh, getting as many as five goals is an offensive bonus, but obviously they are more the Nicholas Jalmerson types who are there to protect the net and penalty kill as well, and those were areas of focus that definitely needed improvement. They have nowhere to go but up in the penalty kill this coming season, and Another area of need was getting another mucker, grinder, Drake Kajula type, an irritant, a guy who's not afraid to go in the corners, and they know that Andrew Shaw can do that. I was amazed to find out that Andrew Shaw is still only 27 years old. But like Mata, like DeHaan, and now with Shaw, there is a certainty going into free agency before free agency even started with what he's going to have to pay over the next handful of seasons and with some of the money that was dished out for comparable type players the deals are pretty good and he has a commitment he knows what he's going to be invested in salary wise for the next handful of years so let's now hear from Andrew Shaw on his conference call from Sunday evening, you will hear a little bit of his one-year-old daughter, Andy, in the background during the course of, of the... Of course, Andrew Shaw would name his daughter, Andy, who I think was one-year-old about a week or two ago. But uh, he talks... By the way, he found out, which isn't included on this, he was in Chicago last week uh, visiting family, and he was on the runway ready to leave and head back to Toronto when he got word from Mark Bergevin that he was traded right before it's time to turn the phones off as we head down the runway. So he got that news, and on the hour and a half light back, uh, messages came in, many messages came in, and by the time he landed and turned his phone back on, uh, family, friends, uh, former and now uh, reunited teammates with the Blackhawks were back in touch with them, and... uh, 
he wasn't forced to hop on a plane and come right back to Chicago. But he talks a little bit about his health now in this uh, in this uh, stretch of sound you'll hear from him. Also about renewing relationships with some of those Blackhawks. Uh, the way and how he was able to put career-best numbers together last year, even though he missed, I believe, 15, 18 games uh, once again. His fit into the lineup, but he starts out here talking about returning to Chicago, a place near and dear to his heart. I've always you know, thought of coming back. Obviously, it was the home to me. I lived there for five amazing years. Uh, fell in love with my wife there. I fell in love with the city. fell in love with hockey even more. Uh, so I'm glad to be back, glad to be a part of it again. And I do think I've changed as a player. I think I've matured. I think I've gotten stronger, bigger, faster. Um, but still the, the, the type of player who's going to go to the dirty areas. So I think, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun and success this year as well. How is your health and, and how do you feel where you're, you're ready for next season to kind of continue coming off of a career season like you just had? I know I obviously a lot of bumps and bruises along the way, but I think the past uh, year and a bit, I've, you know, focused on making sure I'm taking care of myself a little bit better, eating better in the gym, you know, every day and uh, I feel good I feel great um, I had a good year this year as well and uh, I think that just helped boost my confidence and you know I, I'm ready I've been uh, I didn't take it much time off this year because the body felt pretty good so uh, I'm excited for the year to start and I'm going to push myself all summer to make sure I'm ready for it We touched on a little bit but can you just talk about the relationship that you had with some of those players in that Blackhawks dressing room and how seamlessly you'd be able to fit in there. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's been a while, but I've you know we kept in touch. I I visit them whenever I'm in town. Uh, you know they came to me and my my wife's wedding, so we've we've stayed in touch as best as we could, and we're very excited to uh, to get back and get into that locker room. I know a lot's changed with turnover, but I mean it's going to be exciting. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun times ahead. You obviously set a career high in points last year, and you were on pace to do so in, in goals also if it weren't for the injury. Uh, I guess, what, what do you feel worked so well for you last year specifically? Well, I actually I had a rough summer of rehab on the knee and, and making sure my health was where it needed to be to play. And I think that just helped me push myself even that much harder to, to make sure I was ready for the season that I was going to have a good year. I had a I had a newborn daughter as well. I think that helped motivate me to uh, you know make sure I can provide for my family. And I think as a man, I've matured more and, and know what it takes to be even a better pro than I've been in the past. And, uh, I just you know had some success. You know, working hard, competing, and, and you know that mindset of never giving up, not letting. You know, people put you down and just pushing through physical, mental, you know, exhaustion or pain. You know, uh, I had some success with it as well. Where do you think you fit into this, this current roster um, with, with probably a lot, a lot of opportunities open, especially on the wings and, and the, the second line and the bottom six? Yeah, I mean, opportunities there for everyone to take it. You know, you got to go out there and seize it. So I look forward to coming and working and competing, and I'm that type of guy who's always worked for what I've gotten, and I'm not going to change today. So I'm just going to go in and work hard and 
do what I can to help the team uh, have some success. I said I was surprised that Andrew Shaw is only 27 years old, three years at $3.9 million per year left on his contract. And with some of the deals dished out uh, on Monday, uh, that certainty, that financial certainty, I think is something that uh, Stan Bowman and the Blackhawks will appreciate. What's uncertain is Andrew Shaw's health. Uh, We know with the kind of build coupled with the type of player that he is, the bumps and bruises are going to come along the way. Uh, it's almost guaranteed that you know he'll miss a handful of games at some point over the season. You hope that, and as in Corey Crawford's case, the concussions don't crop up again because I don't know if he had two or three of those over an 18-month span again. But this is exactly the type of player the Blackhawks have been missing the last couple of years. To be quite honest, missing ever since they were forced to let him go because of salary cap uh, situation three years ago to the Montreal Canadiens. He's grown. He became a leader in that Montreal room. I'm not sure if it's going to be as necessary here in the Blackhawks room, but every little bit helps. I think he knows his space within the pecking order of the Taves, the Canes, the Seabrooks, and the Keese, and it always helps to have a a guy like that in the room, but most importantly, however many games he's able to deliver, and hopefully, you know, it's a a good chunk, and it's a minimum number that, you know, he, he could potentially miss, knock on wood. He'll be there for all 82 games. But this is the type of, of guy who wins games and is a playoff-type performer if the Blackhawks are able to get that far. He'll help them get that far if he's there for uh, a majority of the season. And you could tell by what he was saying on the conference call and how he was saying it. He does sound to have matured. And this is not a guy, like you said, 27. He's not a rookie. He wasn't groomed by somebody what to say. And, and he's kind of been saying these things a little bit. When he visits Chicago the last uh, couple of years, he's, he sounds like a more mature guy for sure. And those bumps and bruises you talked about, yeah, those are obviously high danger in terms of uh, physicality areas in the corners, but don't forget he, uh, you know, parks himself in front of that net too, and they've missed that a lot the last couple of years. Whether it's just in the mm-hmm. offensive zone in general or when they're on the power play, so they, they've missed that a lot. I think that's going to pay dividends, and people are up in arms over three point nine million when you then you wait the next day on, on Monday, and that's similar players are getting more, and that's why Stan wanted to lock him down to that that day. And uh, a funny note: I didn't know that I had tweeted this; I forgot. But someone someone uh, liked it, so I got a notification. A tweet from uh, 2017, July 1st, 2017, had me saying... Um, Watch out, people are going back in your Twitter history. I know, you, you got to be careful what you say. <laughs> but I had said after the they traded Yalmerson um, that I, I couldn't wait till the... To, I was already writing my story about the Blackhawks bringing back Shaw and Yarmolson for the 2019-2020 season. <laughs> well, you're half, That's right. half right so far, though. What's, what's what's in the works? We don't know. So, uh, I, I think yeah, I think getting Shaw back. You know, I, we'll see how the goalie tandem plays out. But that could be one of the best moves that Stan Bowman made, in my opinion, just because you get everything from a guy like that. Yeah, and and you think about the possibilities, like like Drake Kajula. He's one of those guys you can move up and down the lineup. Uh, but you think about the prospect because the Blackhawks needed to shore up that bottom six and let's uh, let's let's keep in mind that you know if Perlini's back you have Dominic Kubalik who I think people are projecting to make this final roster as well um, I, I don't know what you know the other European they're bringing in Anton Vadim what what he might be able to bring to the table Dylan Sakura when he was given his opportunity on a top line with Jonathan Taves and I think Brandon Saad that line, by and large, performed pretty well. Whether Sakura can, you know, find that next level 
and solidify himself in this Blackhawks lineup moving forward this season uh, remains to be seen. But w- when you look at the bottom six, some of the some of the guys who could potentially be there from. Ryan Carpenter to David Camp to Andrew Shaw to Drake Kajula, those are exactly the top of uh, the type of guys that, if they're doing what they should be doing, it just promotes the fact that Jeremy Colleton can find a comfort level in rolling all four lines out there. And we saw during the course of the playoffs, but all good teams before they make the playoffs, the coach has to have a certain level of trust that he can throw anybody out there at any time and not have to worry about, oh, we don't have Jonathan Taves out there or Patrick Kane. It's not, it doesn't mean that they're going to be as offensively productive as those guys on the top two line, but nevertheless make an impact on the game in one way or another. So uh, the depth has certainly been shored up. Yeah, and the numbers for Shaw's career year last year in limited games, uh, 47 points, 19 goals, 28 assists overall. So not bad. Like you said, he missed some time. The Blackhawks... We started out a couple of moments ago talking about, uh, yes, they are better. How much better? I, I'm a believer that this team it will be good enough to make the playoffs, barring any you know, huge, devastating injury to one or perhaps a couple of the stars. But when you start talking about that, okay, if they make the playoffs, then who isn't going to make the playoffs? And when we look at the landscape here through the offseason, particularly in the Central Division and the West, because that's what they have to concern themselves with, to me, Colorado has had an unbelievable offseason. We knew they were coming to begin with, making it into the second round of the playoffs. But some of the additions that they have made and tweaks to their roster, they needed depth as well. And what, what they have done, to me, I think Colorado is the team to beat in this division, even though you have the Stanley Cup winner. The Blues are going to have difficulty making very many changes to their lineup, or in fact, bringing everybody back as well, in addition to dealing with a Stanley Cup hangover. But Colorado, they have Kale McCarr, who they brought in, the college kid, the Hobie Baker winner for the playoffs. Um, they got rid of uh, the, the main guys that they got rid of, Carl Soderberg to Arizona. They got Kevin Connaughton, an offensive kind of depth defensive guy, um, to bring back in exchange for Soderberg. They also let go of Tyson Berry on Monday in a trade to Toronto, along with Alexander Kerfoot. But they get Nazem Kadri back, one of those depth guys who is a major pain in the you-know-what, sometimes to his own team, as we've seen through the playoffs, getting himself in trouble. But that's one of those irritant depth guys who can put up offensive numbers. They get Andre Burakovsky from Washington. They get Junis Donskoy, a great depth guy from San Jose. And while the Blackhawks signed Ryan Carpenter, another one of those great fourth liners for Vegas, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, who kills penalties, wins face-offs. That's what Colorado has brought aboard, in addition to perhaps Bowen Byram. In my mind, Colorado right now is the team to beat in the Central Division with as good as they were and now tacking this on top of this, perhaps the only vulnerability I see in them, they lose Varlamov as a backup to Grubauer. They're going to probably have to go with a young kid unless they get a veteran off of the scrap heap who can provide some reliable backup for Grubauer. But but to me, I think Colorado has just had a lights-out offseason here, adding to what they already have. Colorado has. I like what Dallas has done, too. And how about uh, former... uh, 
NHL All-Star MVP John Scott becoming a, a bit of a uh, reporter on right. Twitter right. That, that the Hawks were in on Pavelski or at least they were mm-hmm. they were talking and and then he goes to Dallas so yeah I, I like uh, and, and they made some other moves I, I uh, not on top of my mind right now but I, I thought that uh, Dallas improved a little bit and and look I still think yeah Colorado they're, they're it's gonna be a really hard team to play against but with what the Hawks have done again you just go down to the parity in the league now with forwards and, and defensemen and the Hawks improving their defense, and then a lot of times it just comes down to goaltending and whoever you're going against, Leonard or Crawford, um, you know, because if Crawford's not able to go, it's going to be Leonard. So, so th- tough. Th- those nice moves by Dallas. You mentioned Pavelski, three years, seven million dollars per. He's thirty-five right now, but. Production wasn't a problem for him last season before he got bit by the injury bug late and into the playoffs. So, uh, Little Joe, a great ad for Dallas. Uh, they're rolling the dice on Corey Perry having a, that's right, Perry, having, that's having a backup uh, yeah. or bounce back season from uh, missing a good chunk of the last couple years due to knee and other injuries. They right. brought in a veteran D Andre Sekera who could still play. Uh, he snapped an Achilles about this time last year, wiped out practically all of last season for Edmonton. They lose the likes of Tyler Pitlick, uh, Jason Spezza, not that big of a loss for them, but they are unable to re-sign Matt Zuccarella, who now goes to Minnesota. Minnesota, another one of those teams in the Central Division mix, I'm not sure if they necessarily made a big leap in, in getting Zuccarello and Hartman. There's still those rumblings that they might want to get rid of Jason Zucker. So, uh, to me, when you look at the Central Division, Colorado, Dallas, St. Louis, then you start talking about Winnipeg and Nashville, the two teams that finished at the top of the division last year. You figure Winnipeg might slip a little bit. They had a little bit of a soap opera deal during the course of the season last year, as talented as they were, but they've lost a handful of guys, of key guys. They're one of those teams that's up against the cap. They lose Truba. They lose Kevin Hayes. They lose Brandon Tanev. Um, so they have had to sacrifice some personnel, and there was a little bit of drama in that locker room, and boom, they're knocked out in the first round of the playoffs by St. Louis. So they have some issues that they're going to have to go through in addition to the talent that they've lost. Do they drop far enough where the Blackhawks leapfrog them? I don't know. That's something to consider. You think about Nashville as well. This is another team that's stunned being knocked out in the first round of the playoffs by Dallas. They're forced to get rid of P.K. Subban in order to bring in Matt Duchesne. So, yeah, their depth that they needed down the middle so much, because after that top line, uh, they were really hurting over the course of the last year or two. Yeah, Duchesne, that was kind of a slam dunk. Everyone kind of knew he was going to be there. So they're better that way, but they take away P.K. Subban, who, to be quite honest, had had slipped to a a second-pairing role. But And they do have uh, a real impressive kid to, to jump in there in Nashville who joined them uh, towards the end of last season. I've got to look him up because this, his name escapes me. Was it uh, Dante Fabro? I, I want, yeah, Dante Fabro is a guy who, who's pretty impressive, who could s- step in for Subban. But does Nashville slip enough when you're looking at the competitiveness of the Central Division? Do they slip down enough where the Blackhawks are able to leapfrog them? To me, Scott, this is going to be another situation where both of the wild card teams next year are going to have to come from the central division because one, two, three is going to be a war. And just as we saw this past season with it going down to the final week, those two wild cards are going to be a war too. With yeah, because when you look at the Pacific Division, LA isn't doing much, isn't going to be doing much. Same for Anaheim. 
Edmonton, maybe they got a little bit better. Vancouver, I think, shored up their defense. But when you look at that Pacific Division, I don't think it's anywhere near as stacked as the Central is, too. So that's where all the competition is going to come for the Blackhawks. So the Central's made a pretty big leap, especially compared to Pacific. They were good already. Yeah. And then you see what Colorado's done and what Dallas has done, too. Yeah, when you look at how much trouble the Hawks had against Central Division teams last year, they, they were although they, they had were a pretty good. good overall record. I think they beat everybody but Winnipeg. Ah, there and you go. So there you go. Um, they're going to have to do right. that again this year. And they're just chasing them in the standings. All so year. so as, as excited as we are about the changes that the Blackhawks have made. You know, uh, there's also that that little sip of medicine that we have to have to have on standby because you know when you look at the competition within that central, they're going to have to be good. And well, one thing that, that was announced, uh, I don't know if we got to it. Um, I don't know if we got to it. No, it was announced after, right after the draft, the the regular season schedule. After they open up against Philadelphia and Prague, seven consecutive home games. There is an opportunity here to start fast, and it's going to be real important for them to start fast here, get some momentum going, and get off on the right track, especially with how competitive that the Central Division is. Because let's face it, it was it was pretty much a miracle with what St. Louis was able to pull off this year based on where they were when the calendar flipped to 2019. So the opportunity is going to be there for the Blackhawks to have a fast start with those seven games. February, once again, is going to be brutal schedule-wise. March will turn a little bit better, but uh, you know, playoff picture-wise, you have to figure Calgary's going to be up there in the Pacific, Vegas, and San Jose. Even though San Jose, in my mind, has lost some real key players. When you look at Donskoy, Pavelski, Nyquist, uh, even they lost a depth guy on defense in Joakim Ryan. When you get past Vegas, San Jose, and Calgary, you know, I think the competition in the Pacific then is a little bit watered down. So... Man, the Central Division is is going to be absolutely unbelievable and a war to get out of. And uh, I think Stan has, by and large, done as, as good a job as he can in addressing the needs that they had going into this offseason. Yeah. And we don't know if he's done yet. He might not. Right. He, might, he still might not. There be could done. be more. And as we tape here on Tuesday, the amazing thing is, is there's still some real interesting names out there. Um, uh, Grant, by the time we get this out there, things may have changed. We haven't heard a peep from anywhere in the league about Ryan Dezingle, who's probably sitting out at his you know, parents' home in Wheaton wondering you know, uh, where he is going to play. Marcus Johansson, who was such a great factor in Boston's run to the Stanley Cup final, uh, once he eventually got healthy, he's still out there. He's a penalty-killing guy, a guy who can skate as well. Um, uh, Gardner from, from Toronto. Uh, there's a couple of other key players out there. Heck, you know, you know, Justin Williams, for all intents and purposes, uh, Mr. Game 7, who has continued to play well late into his 30s. He's another guy who's out there. There's a couple names I'm forgetting, but uh, there's still some talent out there as, as we tape here that uh, could make a difference on, on some of these teams. But what we're seeing overall, as you heard Stan say, in the stretch of sound that we heard from them, the Blackhawks finally in a position where they could take advantage of other teams hurting in their salary cap situation. So you, you've been all in on uh, hockey only? No big celebrity interviews on, on no. some of your other uh, gigs here? You've just been totally invested and zeroed in on, yeah, nothing, uh, on uh, pucks in June and July. Nothing doing in entertainment, nothing on the docket. I've been, I've been enj- very you're much enjoying. You're slacking what you're doing. Been very, no. you know, it's, it's, you you're slacking on the wear. entertainment you, 
<laughs> you don't always want to wear too many hats. It was uh, it was very very enjoyable to sit and watch everything going on, and and you know it's it, it's a, a fun long season, but it's always it, it happens. Uh, Right after you think you're enjoying the summer, there it, it, it comes around the corner quick, and that's great. And now we have uh, we have a, a much better grasp of what the Blackhawks are going to yeah, look like going into the season. We've been waiting for this, and um, we'll, our next podcast will probably come. You know, things start happening before there's this lull in August before training camp starts in se- in uh, September. Uh, we have development camp coming. We're going to see Kirby Doc, um, uh, Vlasic, Vlasic. Uh, some of the other. Young players, Boquist, uh, Bodan, who have you, uh, they'll be at the development camp the middle week of July. We'll have our next podcast at some point during that week. Then we have convention coming up at the uh, end, the final weekend, as always, of July. So uh, that's pretty exciting as well. We'll have another podcast for you uh, at the very least at that point on convention weekend. And uh, before we sign off, a little note here on, as I was leaving the draft in Vancouver... Um, getting in line to check in for my flight midday uh, Vancouver time uh, on that Sunday following the draft. And uh, out of the corner of my eye, I see someone lugging a whole bunch of stuff coming up right behind me uh, in the check-in line. Hockey sticks over his shoulder, a big USA hockey duffel bag as well. I'm wearing my Blackhawks polo shirt, and I turn and look at the guy, and it's Alex Turcotte. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when he first saw my Blackhawks polo and I saw him, he, he kind of turned his head a little bit. But you know how airports work those lines to get it. It's like a maze back and yeah, forth yeah. in order to line up. So he was only uh, two per, <laughs> two people behind me. So when I made my turn and he was making a look, uh, making to take his in the check-in line, say, hey, Alex, Chris Bowden, I do pre and post on, uh, on Blackhawks Radio. I know a lot of people were rooting that the hometown boy would be the selection. Uh, sorry it didn't work out for you, but uh, congratulations. And he just said... You know, L.A.'s not a bad place to be going. I'm sure he had a little hurt growing up as a Blackhawks yeah, fan that he wasn't guy. the number three overall pick. But what he did say as well, he says, you guys got a great player in Kirby Doc. He's going to be wonderful for you. And he also uh, got a great player in Alex Vlasic, the second-round pick, who he was a teammate of at the U.S. National Development Team, who is a local guy who's coming home. And um, he said, yeah, Alex is going to be great for you down the road, too. And even though uh, he's going to be going to college at uh, is it BU or Boston College, I'm trying to remember which one it was, um, uh, very gracious Alex Turcotte was, and he was on his way to L.A. to start getting his marching orders and perhaps meet the media and get going with uh, their their training regimen, too. But uh, Alex Turcotte, very gracious, and uh, I would expect nothing less. He's, he's a real good kid. Did you tell him that he was your pick on the podcast? I did not. We didn't go into that deep of conversation, right? But um, you were in the camp. There's a lot of people in that camp, right? In so the split down the middle. Turcot, Bowen, Byram, and, and everyone uh, was wrong. We end up with with uh, with Kirby Doc, who but, looks great, uh, also. Yes, he does, and can't wait to see him at development camp. That's the next time we'll talk to you on our next Blackhawks Crazy podcast. So thanks for joining us here. 
Glad we had a lot to talk about because uh, More than I Stealth Stan, Stealth Stan and his Bowman bombs provided some uh, <laughs> some uh, bullets of conversation here. We want to thank Joe Romano once again for doing a great job producing and putting thank this you, all together. Yes, once again, we will uh, get Joe to lunch here at some point we all- for uh, Al Fresco for all his uh, hard work here. We also want to thank again you for listening here. We'll be back at you in a couple weeks at some point during a development camp. Follow myself and Scott on Twitter. Scott's at, at Scott King Media. I'm at, at Bowden tweets. And again, we encourage you to uh, also subscribe to the Blackhawks Crazy Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Blackhawks Crazy as Scott continues to post. We're going to see what he's going to have to come up with over the next couple of weeks if things somehow die down on the stand and the personnel front. And uh, we encourage you to subscribe to the Blackhawks Crazy podcast on iTunes. It'll pop up whenever we have a new one for you. They're ready for you. And we encourage you to leave a review for, for Joe and for Scott. I'm Chris Bowden again. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks.